Quick show of hands, how many of you know or have seen that Broadway musical? Anyone? Anybody know what it is? All right, Wicked. <laughs> My wife's got her hand way up in the air. Yeah, so this is, um, this is from the Broadway, hit Broadway musical Wicked, which was Hamilton before Hamilton was Hamilton, right? It was this massive show that captured the whole world's attention and was shown everywhere. It's really the backstory. It's the backstory of the Wicked Witch of the West and Galinda the Good Witch. Uh, it's their backstory and how they became who they are. And so it's this really, really interesting deconstruction of the Wizard of Oz and then this reconstruction of the story behind it. And so it's this amazing thing. But what you just saw there was this sort of climactic song at the end of the first act. And it is this, this anthem that, that Elphaba, the Wicked Witch of the West, sings out that she's through accepting limits because somebody told them they're so. She's through by playing by the rules of somebody else's game, and so she goes to defy gravity. She wants to defy gravity and everything that the world wants to limit her with. And so it's this really amazing story because limits often feel like ceilings that need to be broken or a cage that we need to come out of. And so she wants to defy gravity. Take a look at some of the lyrics here. It says, I'm through accepting, accepting limits because someone says they're so. Some things I cannot change, but until I try, I'll never know. And then at the end, the part that you saw her singing there, she says, someone told her once that everyone deserves a chance to fly. So if I'm flying solo, at least I'm flying free. To those who would ground me, take a message back to me. Tell them that I am defying gravity, right? There's such a great theme in that. Again, it's like an anthem that gets sung out of there, and it sounds so, so good because in part, it is. In part, we love that idea because glass ceilings are bad and cages need to be open. But limits, to be unlimited is not a healthy thing. Limits are part of life. They're necessary. They're actually good for us. And so to be unlimited, as great as that would sound, is not what we are capable of, nor is it what we need or what we want. Truthfully, what we need or what we want. Even though we like to defy gravity on our own, gravity, gravity has a way of winning. In this life and on this earth, gravity has a way of winning. 
and it always will. So we're in the middle of this series right now that we're calling immature or immature, whether we're growing either more mature or we're staying immature, is really a choice that we make on a daily basis. And so it's based on a book, this book that we've handed out called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which is really a great book. Um, If you haven't had a chance to read it, please pick it up and read it. It is well worth the time. But what he talks about is that to be mature, to be emotionally healthy, is to learn how to function with healthy limits. In order to be mature, in order to be emotionally healthy, we have to learn how to function within healthy limits, both personally, what are the limits that I need in my own life to function in a healthy way? But then on the other side of that, what are the relational limits, the boundaries that are necessary for me to have in my relationship with other people to function in a healthy way? And so we've got to navigate this water because it really is a choice. Like figuring it out, it requires something of us. There's limits to both of those, personally to live with healthy limits and relationally to live with healthy boundaries. What the author calls, he says, there's, there is a theology of limits and there is a practicality to limits in our life. But there is a, an actual theology of the limits in our life, but there's also a practicality to it because we all want to be unlimited and to defy a little gravity. But the, the balance, the trick, the truth is, the key is that to learn when to push through the limits and the boundaries in our life and when to stay grounded. That's really the trick. And I, I think as I've been thinking and praying about this topic, it really boils down to one word. If you could sum this whole thing up in one word, it would be this. Wisdom. It would be wisdom. Knowing how to deal with our own boundaries or relational boundaries really requires of us wisdom. Now, here's the definition of wisdom that I found. I think this is really great and helpful. It says, wisdom is really to act or to make a decision based on the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. To act or make a decision based on an application of experience, knowledge, or good wisdom. In a world that is so full of knowledge and information, the trick is not having more information. The trick is really knowing how to apply it. It's knowing how to apply it. One of the things that, like we know, I've heard it said, a pastor said once, it's not that we even need to know more about what's in the Bible. We just actually need to do the stuff that we already know. If we just did the stuff that we already knew, if we applied what we already know, the world would be such a better place. Again, it's not just knowing, but it's acting on that knowledge. And I think this is where we kind of blow it a lot, if we're being honest It's in the application that we blow it because we know a whole bunch of stuff. But then we get swept up just like everybody else in trying to define, defy gravity and try to press through all of those limits in the treadmill. Just think about the last 18 months. Here's a great example. Think about the last 18 months of most of our lives. So COVID sweeps in and there were limits that were sort of imposed upon us culturally. Like, you couldn't go out. You couldn't do the things that you normally did. And so we had sort of these externally placed limits that we all were sort of pushing back against initially, and then we started going with the flow a little bit. And the question was, what do we have to do without? The first part of COVID, the question was, what do we have to do without? And can we? Can we do without it? And then slowly over time, like as we were limited, and again, there were lots of tragic things that happened during COVID, for, but for most of us, that limit, that limited existence sort of started to feel kind of 
good. We started to get rid of some of the craziness that was going on, and it was kind of nice. We were resting. We were spending more time with family. We were doing things with the people that we love and only the people that we love, and we sort of took a collective breath because it felt grounding to most of us. Cut our crazy schedules. We got rid of all the uh, external stuff, and, and somewhere in there the question shifted for us as a culture. Instead of, we realized that we were just defying gravity all the time and it was really not sustainable. And then on the backside, that question shifted. Instead of asking, what do we have to do without? We started asking the question, what, what do we need to put back in? More to the point, like we were asking the question, what do we not need to put back in? We started looking at the world through that little different lens. What do we not want to include back? Because we're, we're sort of enjoying this limited existence a little bit. It feels healthier. It feels like we can actually breathe. So what do we not want to put back in? I think it's interesting. The initial question was, what do we have to do without? The second question was, what do we not want to go back to? And now, in the last six months or so, it's just kind of not even become a question. We've, we've just, we've gotten so, it's like that, that meal that the buffet that's placed out in front of you and you've, you've been starved for so long that you go and you pile up this plate full of stuff and you heap it on and then you get to the end of the meal and you're like, oh, I ate too much because you were so deprived. And I think that's where we are now as a culture. We're looking back, we're just gone back to what we had before. And I was talking to somebody about this at our small group and they said, I think we've actually gone back to more. We've tried to put more stuff in. We've tried to be more unlimited. We've tried to fly a little bit higher than even we did before. Defying gravity, the gravity of rest and of healthy limits. And see, the truth is, I think, that we have to grapple with, especially as a culture, is that we were not designed to defy gravity. We were not designed to be unlimited which is what the other thing that she sings in that video. Even in the garden, think about this. Even in the garden, Adam and Eve, God says to them, listen, I'm going to put you in this garden. You can eat from any tree in the garden that you want. Any tree. Take your pick. It is all here for you except that one. Don't eat out of that. Bad stuff will happen if you eat the fruit from that tree. Spoiler alert, like they ate from that tree because that's just what humanity, that's what we do in our human nature. When we have a limit that's put on us, we tend to push back against the limit. We don't want to experience that. It feels like a ceiling or a cage. And so Adam and Eve, they, they doubted God's goodness. And of course they went for the one thing that they couldn't have because they didn't like the limit. They didn't want to be limited. But I want to focus this morning, we're going to read a little section of the Old Testament. This is a little bit later in the story. And it's sort of, um, I've been thinking about this as humanity's defying gravity moment. This is when humanity said to God, we don't want to stay on the ground. We want to fly. So here it is. Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Defying gravity. So that we will make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the face of the whole earth. 
Next slide, he says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other, so that they'll be limited. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel because that's where the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered them all over the earth. Most of us have heard of the Tower of Babel and when we read through that story we're like, gosh, God kind of limited. He squashed what they were doing. What's up with that? They could accomplish anything. Why did God do that? I think it's in part because God looks at us just like Adam and Eve in the garden. And now here, it is not good for us to try to defy gravity. It's just not. If you doubt that, again, I know this is sort of big picture concept, but if you doubt that, I just have one word for you. Or two words. The internet. All right? Now think about the internet. Just for a second, think about the internet. So here we have the infinite potential for the sharing of all of human knowledge. I mean, infinite possibilities, infinite sharing of all the accumulated knowledge of all of the ages, literally at our fingertips. We can Google anything we want. We can know anything we want that fast. What do we do with it? Silly cat videos or pornography. Like, that's what we do with the internet, with this, this incredible access to knowledge, all the knowledge of the universe. What do we do? In fact, here's what, what's so interesting about it is... Um, they did a survey, and so this is just maybe a couple years old, and they said that 30%, 30% of all of the bandwidth online is used for one thing. Guess what that one thing is? Anyone? Pornography. 30% of all of the bandwidth is used for pornography. I heard a comedian say that sin is really just humanity's unbelievable ability to muck things up. He did not use the word muck. But that's what it is. We don't want to be limited, and so we take even the best of things, and we push through all the boundaries on it, and we make it for ourselves. We need to be limited. There's a proverb that says, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately because I think we're at the place in our culture where this needs to be a kind of a, an anthem or a mantra that we tell ourselves all the time. The proverb says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. God knows that we, if we are allowed to defy gravity, we will become like Icarus. There's a reason that that story is told in a bunch of different ways. Icarus was, was the Greek god who the father's father, Daedalus, gave him wax wings and said, here's the deal, they're made of wax, don't fly too close to the sun. What does Icarus do? Straight up. Flies to the sun, the, wax, the wings melt, and he falls to the earth. We need limits because when we operate without them, eventually, eventually, there's a crash. Gravity always wins. Gravity always wins. See, look, this is the deal. This is my issue, and, and I, I, I wrestle with this all the time because uh, I told Jen earlier this week, she goes, well, what are you talking about on Sunday? I said, I'm talking about God's gift of limits, and she just burst out laughing. 
And I was, I was like, okay, that hurts a little bit. Like, why are you talking about, why are you laughing? And she said, well, because you don't think you have any. <laughs> like, okay, touche. Fair enough, right? Uh, you got me. Because it really is true. Like, that's my issue is I will just go, 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 go until, until I can't go anymore. And then I just collapse. In college, I got five hours of sleep a night because I just had so much to do all the time. And it was not healthy or sustainable. Eventually, gravity wins. It always wins. And so the question for us is, are we willing to pause long enough to say, God, am I living out of wisdom, the practical application of what I know, or am I just trying to defy gravity over and over again? Am I living in wisdom? Or am I just defying gravity? There's two questions that he asks in the book. This is on page 95 if you're following in the book. And I think this is such a great framework for us to wrestle through this question as followers of Jesus. Actually, this is a great framework to wrestle through this regardless of who you are. But as followers of Jesus, this is particularly important. It says, what are the limits that I need to receive and submit to joyfully as God's invitation to trust him? What are those limits that I need to receive that are God's invitation to trust him? And then the second question is, what are the limits that God is asking me to break through by faith so that others might know him or so that I might become the person that he wants me to be, that he intends? What are the limits that I need to joyfully accept? What are the places where I need to push a little bit harder the answers to those questions require wisdom. They don't require more information. They require wisdom. Here's how he says it in the book. This is really interesting. On page, right before that, on page 94, he says, God has given me, this is the pastor, Pete Scazzaro, talking about himself. God has given me three to five talents. He didn't give me eight or ten. My parents, on the other hand, told me that I could be anything that I wanted in life. A doctor, a musician, a professor, a writer, a professional athlete. I tried to play basketball like Michael Jordan in high school. I couldn't. We lost most of our games. Yet I didn't get the message. I could not do anything I wanted. Instead of seeing God's limits, instead of seeing those limits as God's gift, I considered them an obstacle. An obstacle to my power and control, to my agenda. Again, I think one of the things that we have to get through our head is that wisdom, wisdom is the source of life. Wisdom is what we need. Wisdom, things like a Sabbath day to rest from all of the going. Jesus said that, that man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. But how many of us observe a Sabbath? A period of rest where we're not doing anything. And then we wonder why we're burnt out all the time. How about not coveting the stuff that our neighbor has? In a world that lives and thrives on envy. Pushing constantly this idea that if we just purchased that one more thing, if we just had one more piece, that then we would be happy. Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. And he goes on to say, look, what you need to do is you need to give money away first because then it won't have power over you. 
And yet most of us end up at the end of the month and we go, well, we'll give out of what we have left. And what we have left is usually that. He says, practice forgiveness. Just practice forgiveness. Don't let any bitter root take hold of your soul. Choose to love people instead. And yet, all you see is anger and strife and enmity all around us. Wisdom says that there's a rhythm that we need in our life to keep our faith the number one thing. Things like reading the Bible regularly, things like coming to church and being part of a community together, things like being on mission for a purpose that's bigger than ourselves. And yet by any of those measures, we just, we choose so many other things. The average person comes to church 1.6 times. Committed church follower comes to a church, a place of gathering of worship 1.6 times per month and then expects their faith to thrive. That's not wisdom. See, wisdom is the way of Jesus. It is tuning our hearts to him. It's following where he leads. It's taking the words of this book and making them, applying them in our life above and ahead of everything else that we have going on. But we just don't, we just don't do that. I don't do that. I struggle with this. I mean, it's true that we just see limits as obstacles to what I think I want in my life. But there's another thing he said in there. I don't know if you caught this that kind of is important. He says, think about how we raise our kids. We raise our kids to say, you can do anything you want in this life. Anything you want. The world is your oyster. You have unlimited freedom to do whatever you want. And some of that is good, I think, because we're, we're giving our kids like a, a little impetus, a little something to go out and pursue their dreams and their hopes. So some of that is good, but I also wonder, are we selling our kids a lie? It sounds really good, but like little five-foot-three-inch Johnny is not going to be the starting center for the Knicks. It's just, no matter how hard he tries, no matter how much he works, that's just not going to happen. What's worse is, like, the, the real issue is we, we have trained ourselves as a culture to think that we're the exception to the rule. Like, this doesn't really apply to us. I can do it. I can get it done. Even though all of wisdom would dictate that this is not what we should do, but this is what we should do, we go, no, 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 I can, I can have both. I can be unlimited. I can defy gravity. I can keep going. We've been trained to think that way. And so it plays out in this relationship. And even when I first said that, I think if you're like me, most of us were like, whoa, 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 don't mess with my kids. My kids can do anything. That's how much we've been trained in this. But the stats, the stats, the facts, all of the accumulated knowledge of the ages would tell us that 1%, 1% of high school athletes play college sports. 1%. And yet, if you show up at the sideline of any sporting event, youth sporting event here, it is populated by parents that are convinced, or at least, at least they are putting the amount of energy and emphasis into their kids playing a silly sport that would belie the belief that that kid is going to be the number one draft pick. We all battle this. It's not like it's anything new under the sun. 
pastors, 90% of, of pastors that get, go into seminary think that teaching is their primary gift. It's actually 7% of pastors have a teaching gift as their primary gift. But 90% think they do. 80% of pastors don't make it to 10 years in the ministry. 80%. You think there's a correlation there? When we believe the lie, we get our hopes up and we begin to chase that down. And when it's not true, it just fosters a sense of defeat and disappointment. And I'm not saying lower our standards. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is pursue Jesus and find out what he has to say about who you are and what your life. There's an article that I read earlier this week. It says, we think that we are the exception to all of these rules, and that makes us the rule. We think we're the exception, and that makes us the rule. Another one that I always tell couples that are getting married is uh, when, when I'm counseling them before they get married, cohabitation is a big deal in our culture. Uh, couples living together before they get married. It's just become kind of normative. All right? And so... As much as psychologists and sociologists want there to be statistics that say, hey, that is actually a really good thing, because the number one reason that they give for wanting to live together before you get married is that, hey, we want to try this out and just make sure that it's going to stick, right? Make sure we have what it takes. Okay, the problem with that is the stats don't back that up. In fact, couples that, that live together before they get married have a 70% or more divorce rate. The culture is 50%. Cohabitating couples are 70 it's, one, it's a 1.33% multiplier. You're 33% more likely to, to get a divorce if you live together before marriage. And yet, every one of those couples, every single one that I've ever talked to, oh yeah, but that doesn't apply to me. Not us. It doesn't apply to us. We're the exception. Well, you got a 70 or you got a 30% chance of being the perception, the exception. But for some reason, we don't want to believe that. We want to defy gravity, even though all of the data says that we cannot defy it. And so the question then becomes that we need more knowledge. Do we need to just press through? Are we the exception? Or do we need to live out of a wisdom, a wisdom that defies the ages, a wisdom that has been handed down? Again, I know I'm preaching to the choir, and I'm primarily preaching to myself because my wife is right. I, I, have, a, I have an issue here. I don't think that I have any limits. I think I'm the exception and can get everything done. And there's a cycle where I just kind of get burnt out periodically and then have to kind of pick myself back up and get out there and get going. And Jesus has been working on me lately saying, where do you get rest? Where are you going to find peace? Where are you spending time with me being before I go do a bunch of stuff? So this journey has been really good for me because I am not the exception. Gravity always wins. Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, right? And, and I think there's a trap that we fall into with all of this as we're thinking about it. We, there's human tendency to go into two poles. We, stuck, we get stuck into thinking more highly about ourselves than we ought, that we can actually do it, or we end up beating ourselves up because we can't. We get in pride to think that we can get it all. We get overconfident. Or then we end up living on the other side in, in a sense of shame because we can't get it all done. 
We can't achieve the standard that is set for us. I was at the beach with my brother Jeremiah uh, this last summer, and we were just kind of sitting there having a great conversation and talking about, you know, how I'm 48 now, so we were talking about how we were getting older and, and kind of the impact of that and what it's like to kind of walk through midlife. And uh, we were looking out at some people, people watching at the beach like you do, and I look over and I see a guy over there, and he looked like he was probably an athlete at one point in time, you know. He's throwing a football with his kid. He's got a beer belly kind of hanging out, you know, and, and I'm like, I said to Jeremiah, I go, you know, look, Jen and I always say to each other, we look pretty good for 48. Like, like I'm 48 years old, but I, that guy's probably in his late 30s. I know I look better than him. And this lively conversation just kind of went, Jeremiah did not say a single thing. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then a little bit later in the same day, I'm, I'm you know, just in my swimsuit, and I'm walking in the house we were in, and I walk in front of a mirror, and I catch myself in profile in the mirror. And I'm like, Oh, crap. Now I know why Jeremiah didn't say anything, because I look exactly like that guy. Like, 48 years old, there are limits to what I can achieve with this body, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I am not going to look like an Adonis at 48 years old, and somehow i got to be okay with that. Now, I don't need to let myself go. I have a little bit. COVID's not been great. But anyway, the whole point is, like, the truth is gravity is winning, but I need, I need to just pursue Jesus in the midst of that. The wisdom, the wisdom is what I need. I want to read Proverbs 3, and this is just such a wonderful thing, and it, it paints a picture for us of what wisdom can be for us. I just want you to, as I read this, close your eyes and just let Jesus speak to you through the Scriptures. He says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. See, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline and don't send, don't resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. So blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she, wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields a better result than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. So my son, my daughter, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. See, then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep 
will be sweet. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. I wonder if we struggle, if our sleep is not sweet because we lack that kind of wisdom. Again, part of the serenity prayer that Alcoholics Anonymous, who, people who know what their limits are, part of the serenity prayer that they pray is this. Throw that up on the screen. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom, the wisdom to know the difference. Sometime go read the rest of that prayer. It is actually really, really brilliant. But what I want to do is I want to take three minutes and I want you to sit. Put those questions up there if you wouldn't mind, Lucas. I want you to sit in these questions. I'm going to have the band come up and start playing a little bit. And we're just going to take two to three minutes. And I want you to really take these questions to the Lord. Ask him, ask him, what are the limits that I need to receive so that I could trust you? And then what maybe are the limits that God is asking you to press through? And we'll 